0: we're starting this brand new series um, and as uh, chris said earlier today it's uh, looking at the book of exodus uh, but we decided to call it uh, wandering and wondering not only as an example of what we see in exodus but it was a great way to describe kind of the angle by which we wanted to learn uh, from this book from the word of god this time is just this idea that man's approach mankind's approach to life Tends to often be this sort of wandering and wondering lifestyle where they're looking for meaning and purpose and reason and explanation to life. It tends to be, oftentimes, what uh, people experience in life is they're just sort of wandering around until they f- stumble upon it, or they try different things, they're wondering about what the existence of, is there a greater why, uh, and we believe that the Bible has something to say about that. But we talked about some questions we wanted to look at in this series, especially looking at the book of Exodus, um, and so some questions that we all tend to ask. Um, here's just a few of them. Why me? What's going on, right? How will I make it? why am I doing this? Now, some of you guys, I I guarantee, I don't know everybody's story in in this room, but I know all of you have asked one of these questions at some point. Some of you might've asked all these questions this week. Like that's possible too. Um, And so I just, I just throw out that to say, we're going to look at this from a questioning perspective, not just because we want to understand the history and context of scripture, but because as it, as we learn from it, we want to be able to say, you know, we are very similar to to the people who've come before us thousands of years when asking some of these very, very similar questions. So again, we're going to look at the story of Exodus over the next few weeks. Now we are not going through the book of Exodus line by line, exegeting passages. It's not what we're doing, Uh, but we are going to be looking at the part. of Exodus that we really believe we can learn some things from and I am going to give you some context and some history along the way because I don't take for granted uh, that many of you guys even know about the book or the story of Exodus Um, I don't take for granted that everyone here was raised in church or grew up with felt board stories and even then you might only know two or three of the stories uh, from Exodus I want to give you some more context to kind of help in terms of your understanding of God's Word as we, as we uh, move forward uh, in this. So the book of Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, okay? It, it is part of what the Jewish people call the Torah, uh, what Christianity tends to call the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible, okay? It's the first five books of the Bible, and they are all written by someone that we're gonna be introduced to today, and his name is Moses. All right, so Moses is the author, if you will, of these first five books. We'll talk about it in a few weeks where he had all the time to write, to write all this stuff down. Um, God gave him time to do that. Um, and we're going to be looking at some of the things that, in terms of the story of how these five books apply and what this fi- these five books look like. But I do want to give you some, some context here, um, especially where we jump into the story today. Moses is sort of charged to write The Jewish history between God creation and the Jewish people and so Moses does that and it's probably a lot of oral tradition and other things that kind of come away with the Holy Spirit's inspiration but he writes Genesis the origins that's the first book of the Bible and it covers a little bit more than 2,000 years of history depending on where you see Genesis ending and where Exodus begins but it's, it's huge in terms of Genesis covers an incredible amount of time um, and in, you know, thousands of years in terms of what's happening in the history of God's people. Then you have Exodus, which begins with Exodus. We're going to jump in today. You have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all which occur within the span of Moses' life. Everybody with me so far? He lived 120 years. So just to let you know, that's kind of how that, this works. First book, a little over 2,000 years, give or take. Next four books, all within the context of Moses talking about his journaling of his experience and God's people leaving Egypt. And, and arriving to go to the Promised Land. Everybody with me so far? That's just, I want to give you the context of. We're going to be jumping back and forth. If you got your uh, sheet today, this is in front of you in the chair in front of you. Uh, this is our scripture reference card for the sermon, and it, you're going to see we're we're in Exodus law. lot. This is the way it's going to look for the next few weeks. Uh, but we will be jumping around sometimes to Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy because uh, some things happen and, and give greater context in those other books. Um, so definitely look at this this is going to be where we read the highlighted ones when we're going to read together uh, today and we won't have on the screen but i'm going to go ahead and jump in uh, where we start and jump in at exodus 1 verse 6 all right by this time or in this time joseph and all of his brothers died ending that entire generation real quick context joseph is one of the 12 brothers okay of the 12 tribes of israel born to jacob god of abraham isaac jacob and joseph real quick bible story you know uh attempted murder from his brothers favorite favorite of his fathers um ends up getting sold instead to slavery uh, works his way through through jail and slavery up to being ultimately the high commander in egypt and he because of interpreting dreams and other things he helps egypt not only weather uh, seven years of famine worldwide famine but he also because of joseph creates provision for god's people for jacob and god's people to come and 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 get out of this famine and make it through this famine by living and dwelling in egypt so it says we're basically showing up in the story in egypt but now Joseph and his brothers have, have passed away. Their descendants, the Israelites, uh, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. How many people? Well, by the time of the Exodus, and you can look at the people who, who are smarter than me and they argue about it, it's marked as 600,000 men. Um, some believe it to be just that was just men and that there's 2 point something million Uh, Israelites that actually leave Egypt at one time, so I don't know where you land. It could be 600,000 total. It could be 2 million. I don't know. It's a lot of people, okay? Again, that's the point of this is that it's a lot, And, and, and they were thriving and flourishing for a time in Egypt because Egypt was the provision that God gave them to get through the famine, but not everybody really saw that as a good thing, and so the Egyptians begin to fear the Israelites and see them as a threat. And in the sort of the, the sake of national, uh, national uh, preservation, they decide to do to the Israelites what they were worried they would do. And they sort of take over them and, and make them slaves in the nation. So we pick up in verse 11. The Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. And they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities and Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. And the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy, and this made their lives, what's the word? Just say it out loud. Bitter. Forced them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work of the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. So I just wanted you to see that context of just this bitterness that that would show up in the Israelites' life, because again, something that started as a blessing, something that started as provision, um, took a wrong turn. You know, took a turn that that they didn't see coming, and took a turn for the worst in terms of their life. And this is oftentimes when you and I start to ask the question, "Why me?" We start to ask the question, "Why me?" Because we're looking for the reason or reasons for something, right? We're looking for an explanation. You know, there, there's, a, there, you're, you're going along now. Most people listen. We don't ask "Why me?" when life is going well, right? Isn't that true? Life's going well. We just assume it's because of me that life is going well, right? But when life takes a turn. It's a natural human instinct to be like, why me? And we never look at us. We're always looking externally. Like, why is this happening? What are the reasons that this is happening in our life? And listen, when you, when you have a group of people going through the same thing, why us to commiserate with, right? Boy, that's even better, right? Why us? We were, you know, the Israelites were, were God's people, they were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were supposed to be, you know, have their own land. They were supposed to be flourishing as a, as a nation, as the sand numbers the sea. I mean, who knows what the oral tradition was at that time, but that they would have had some stories about who they were. And yet, as slaves, they were asking the question, why me? Because the bitterness had begun to take root in their heart. God, we, need it, we, we want to know why. And that, again, that's just showing some similarities. We all do this. We all, when we ask these questions, it's always because we're looking for some sort of reason that will satisfy us. I want to continue on in the story. This is because it gets worse. I didn't want to say it, but it does get worse. Um, Pharaoh, again, because they were continuing to just multiply like rabbits, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave the order to the Hebrew midwives... Uh, Sapphira and Pua said when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth watch as they deliver if the baby is a boy kill him and if it's a girl let her live now because the midwives feared God they refused to obey the king's orders so they allowed the boys to live too and they give this hilarious excuse to the king like you know, these Hebrew women are so fast at giving labor, like they pop them out so quick, we can't even get there in time. I mean, this, is, this is my summary. But that's, that basically is the excuse they give. They're not like the Egyptian women, you know, taking forever. Like they, they literally say, hey, we can't get there, and the, and the Pharaoh kind of buys it for a season, but then he realizes that they're lying, even though God honored the midwives. And then he tells them, basically in a decree, I want you to take all the newborn boys and throw them in the Nile just tells them all like go through the the, the 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 nation and take all the newborn Israelite Hebrew boys and throw them in the Nile River and this is where we start to pick up we're going to read together in Exodus 2. so if you would turn to your copy of God's word I'm going to read from the New Living Translation Exodus 2 is when we are introduced to Moses About that time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at the distance watching to see what would happen to him soon pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. when the princess saw the basket among the reeds she sent her maid to get it for her when the princess opened it she saw the baby the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him this must be one of the hebrew children she said i mean she knew what the what the rule was she knew what was needed to be done but then the baby sister, or sorry, the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do. The princess replied. So the girl went and called on the baby's mother, Moses' mom. Take the baby and nurse her for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. Quick pause. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone paid you to raise your children? I mean, I just. For a quick moment was like whoo man but this is again a very unique story which is why it's recorded for us moses moses mom and sister sort of planned this but it works out even better than they could have hoped i will pay you for your help so the mother took the baby home and nursed him so later when the boy was older his mother brought him back to pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own the princess, uh, the princess named him Moses, for she explained, "I lifted him out of the water." And we're gonna be we're gonna be done reading that part there. This is the introduction to who Moses is, um, and then if you go on to read a little bit further, you see that Moses, you know. Uh, in case you saw Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or any other, you know, Hollywood-driven story, they take a lot of liberties with, with sort of the timeline here. Um, the reality is is that, you know, it covers a large, you know, just a few verses covers a pretty significant amount of time, almost 40 years in, in, in Moses' life in terms of growing up. And he's older, and he wasn't like next in throne to be a pharaoh or anything like that. He was Still a Hebrew, he was still he was still recognized as a Hebrew man and a Hebrew boy. Uh, by the way, they looked very different than Egypt ch- children, so that was that was already going to be there. Uh, they looked very different, but he he was still treated extraordinarily well because he was the, the you know belonged to the princess. But he was walking along one day and he did see an Egyptian uh, slave driver, um, you know beating a, 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 another Hebrew man, and and it says that he intentionally looked around to see if anybody was there. And he killed the Egyptian and then hid his body. And he was fearful that people would find out. And the next day it actually gets uncovered that there were some other slaves, other Hebrews that kind of knew that he did this. And he was really worried that Pharaoh was gonna find out. And we find out in just a few verses that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh finds out what he did. Said, sure enough, Pharaoh heard what happened and he tried to kill Moses. But then Moses fled from Pharaoh he went to live in the land of Midian and when Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian, his name is Jethro, he had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill their water troughs for their father's flock. Uh, But some other shepherds came and chased them away. All right, so Moses jumped up, rescued the girls from the shepherds, and then he drew water for their flock. So it's very quick turn in the story. He shows up in Midian, and uh, these shepherds are giving these girls a hard time. So Moses, once again, intervenes, um, kind of sh- chases these guys off and helps Jethro's daughters. When Jethro's daughters tell Jethro about it, <coughs> they were like, why didn't you bring him home for dinner? Like, you know, thank this guy for what he did. And so that begins part of the next 40 years of Moses' life. He, he actually joins sort of Jethro's family and family business, uh, marries one of the daughters, becomes a shepherd, And this is just now Moses. Moses went from this to this. I mean, it's a very, you know, simple transition in terms of how scripture describes it, but it was a very big transition for Moses' life. But at the end of chapter 2, as Moses is recording this for us, again, kind of summing up what's happened in these numbers of years, his next 40 years of his life, he says this. He says, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, the Pharaoh. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery, meaning that it wasn't just this one king's fault. Like, there was, it was going to be this continual thing. It wasn't just because this particular Pharaoh was so much worse. It's like, no, they continued to struggle and suffer under slavery. And they cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down to the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act, knew that it was time. I found that very interesting, especially when I began to research this, the way in which Moses said this, uh, that knew that it was time to act mean that it was the, there was a predestined time. There was a time in which God knew something was going to happen. And, and as I began to research this, I just began to wonder like, you know, sometimes, even when there is a reason or an explanation to something, it doesn't seem to be enough for us. Sometimes it doesn't help. Sometimes, and just hear this, when we ask, why me? We're looking for a reason. But sometimes if we're given a reason, I don't know if this is ever the case with you, sometimes you're given a reason and it doesn't seem to be enough. For example, we're not going to look at this today, but I'm going to give you the reference for you to look up on your own. Uh, In Genesis 15, you know, God tells Abraham, like, like, like clearly as clear as a text message okay he tells abraham that your descendants are going to wind up in a foreign land and are going to be oppressed and slaves for 400 years and then i'm going to come in and i'm going to rescue them. i mean everybody with me it was clear i mean he told abraham this is long before abraham even had his first child there was I mean, specific reason, here's what's going to happen. And isn't it interesting that there didn't seem to be in this story any Israelites or any Jewish people, you know, like prisoners on the wall with little check marks, you know what I'm saying? Like, like checking down the days, like, hey, listen, it's been six generations, man. Little Jimmy's generation is going to get out of here. Like they weren't filled with hope because of that. Like there doesn't seem to be, at least the context, that there was a countdown, even though they already had a reason, because God already told Abraham it was going to happen. If I told you that was, you know, whatever was going on with you today, and you're just like, why me, God? And I to look at you and be like, hey, at the birth of this nation, it was actually foretold that that was going to happen to you? Would you care? No. Everybody with me? You wouldn't care, because it's you. You're looking for a reason that's going to satisfy you. And this is oftentimes, the, <laughs> I'll be honest, for me, the real reason I think God doesn't sometimes bring me clarity or sometimes help me know in the answer the time that I want it, why is something happening? Why me? What's going on? Like sometimes when I ask God that, he doesn't give me an answer. And you want to know why? Because God already knows that there's not an answer in the world that would satisfy me. Y'all with me? There's not an answer in the world that would satisfy me. God knows that. But he doesn't want us to get stuck in this "why me And this is obviously what we learned from from Moses. Let's go to chapter 3, and we're going to jump in. Maybe you've heard this story. This is one day Moses was tending the flock of of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came upon Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, the bush wasn't burning up. So I don't even know what that looks like, but it was a sight to see. And, he, and Moses says, this is amazing to himself. I'm gonna, I gotta go see this. I gotta investigate this. He says then that uh, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. So not only is this a unique sight, for, 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 uh, for Moses, he hears God and he responds, yes, yes, I'm here. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I love the, the uniqueness of this because he sees something, he hears something, and then he, he realizes something in the moment. He realizes that this is just not a normal day on the side of a mountain, you know, that he normally would take the flocks through. This is a special moment, this is a unique moment. He literally says, take your shoes off and change what you kind of feel like you know because it's different, it's holy ground now that you're standing up. And then the proclamation comes, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, look, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I love this particular verse. Go ahead and put that back up uh, for me, Thomas. I love this particular verse because of the way in which God sort of responds to Moses as Moses is responding to God. Moses sees the bush, Moses hears God, And Moses is sort of aware in the moment he's sort of told to take his shoes off that this is going to be different. This is going to be different. And in this moment, God makes sure that Moses understands that God also sees what's going on. And that God hears what's going on. And that God is fully aware of what's going on with his people. And so there's a fundamental truth that we have to get around in our minds. If we're going to make a shift in the moment when life takes a turn and we just have that human instinct to go, hey, why me? Why, why us? What's going on? We have to understand that God is always present. Right? He sees, he hears, he's aware. He's always present in every circumstance. God is always present. He may not be obvious, but he is not absent everybody with me god is always present in every circumstance and let's just be honest when that human instinct kicks in that old flesh of ours kicks in and we start asking why me and why why this and why and we want explanation and we want reason to a certain degree we kind of pretend as if god doesn't know right because i mean listen we can be honest about that sometimes I'm, i look at god and go did you see like you know and again i have to be quickly just reminded quickly again like of course, of course he knows what's going on of course he's present but it but listen because of that 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 nature that that instinct to sort of expect an exterior uh, an external solution to a problem you know like god why why is this happening why don't you fix this why, why don't you do something about that it's, it's, it begins in us, and it begins this, this foundational understanding that, no, 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 he's already present. He's present in what's ever going on in your life. He's present in your circumstances, every circumstance. He may not be obvious, but he's not absent. And, and, we, and that has to be a foundational truth for you to get to the next place, which is where Moses, God is really taking Moses on this journey. God wants Moses to know, hey, I'm already there. I've seen it. I've heard it. I'm present in their suffering. And then he says this. Uh, let's keep going. He says, so I, I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. I'm going to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and the land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the, all the ites live there. Right? Look, the cry of my people, Israel, it's reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead your people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt? of Egypt isn't this an interesting turn on the question why me isn't that interesting like again it doesn't change the difference why me is still searching for an answer or reason uh, or uh, a reason for something or, or or an explanation but when you when you're Moses and you shift to this why me you shift to this why me why me is supposed to be on the screen when you shift to why me Here, there you go. When you shift to this why me moment, it really is an interesting thing because again, if you believe the truth that God is already present, He's already in, He already sees, hears, and aware of every circumstance. It may not be obvious, but He's not absent. He's there. And then He looks at you and says, you know what, I've seen it, I've heard it, I'm going to fix it. Hey, I'm sending you to go do it. And all of a sudden, Moses goes, wait a minute. Why me? Right? God, who am I to, to, to go to Pharaoh? I mean, he knows who he is. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to lead your people? Who am I? Isn't it interesting, and I, I'm not picking on anybody today, but just, just just hear this the heart of this. You know that it's really easy? Most of the time, it's people who aren't aren't followers of Christ, but it's really easy sometimes for even followers of Christ to look at the world today, to look at the evil of the world, to look at all the things and the struggling and the suffering of people and go, God, why, why is that happening? Why would you let that happen? Why, why is that happening to them? Why, even if it's not you personally, why, why them? And God might want to say to you, you know what? I'm already there. I'm, I'm already present there. You know who's not there? You. And what if he came to you and said, I'm sending you. Would you not respond the same way that Moses responds? Oh. I mean, I, I, we have a heart for Haiti. We're, we just went to the DR. And Haiti right now, guys, Haiti is Haiti's imploding. Like it's, it's worse than it's ever been. Like it's on the verge of famine and civil war. And it, I, I mean, I, my heart breaks for, the, for those people. But I've, I've seen people ask the question, like, well, why does that, well, why wouldn't God just fix that and do, you know and it's like look God's there. And sometimes I want to look at people and go, you know who's not there? You. It's not that God doesn't care, you don't care. God already cares. God's in the middle of that. God's already present there. You're not there. And listen, don't nobody buy a ticket to Haiti tomorrow. Okay? It's a horrible situation. Don't do that, okay? I'm not giving you that example to make anyone feel guilty. I'm giving you that example to understand that this why me that we struggle with always sort of separates us from God because we're always looking for reason and, and, and explanation to satisfy us versus looking to God, versus looking to him to be the, to, to be the one that satisfies, to be the one that's going to answer us. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality, because he's already there. He's already present in Ukraine. He's already present at the southern border with all the, with all the people who are struggling. He's already present in every single circumstance that's there. You know who's not present? Me. So why am I going to go to God? If he comes up to me and says, Matt, I want you to solve it. I want you to go. I'm going to have the same initial response as Moses. Well, who am I to solve this problem? God, who, who are we to do that? I love this. So God does answer him. It's great. You ready? Why me? So I'm going to go back and read that last verse. Moses protests to God, who am I, right? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God says, I will be with you. And this is the sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When it's all done, when you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. Why? Because God did a horrible job of answering the question. <laughs> Who am I, God? Who am I? God goes, I'm going to go with you. And when it's all said and done, we're going to worship on this mountain, and it's going to be great. Would that satisfy you, by the way? No. Okay. <laughs> Thank for being honest. No. So God's still, Moses is still protesting. Look, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, Look, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They're going to ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, well, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, and that the four letters is usually what you see in the Jewish uh, in the Hebrew language, that, without the vowels, but we say it Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name to remember for all generations. This is my name, eternal name to remember for all generations. And I do want to take a quick sidebar here because uh, this is a, such a significant moment for the people of God to learn God's name. Because this name, this the four letters, that Yahweh that I am, would, the reason that it was the, the reason they wrote it that way is because um, because of and we 'll talk about it in a few weeks we 're going to get into it, but because of the third commandment of not using the lord 's name in vain, they became really cautious of ever saying god 's name. Does that make sense? like, like it beca- they, they had rules upon rules upon rules about how to call say God without actually saying. His name because they were so deathly afraid of using his name in vain and so very rarely will you see except for the prophets will you see the people of Israel use that the four-letter Yahweh the I am that's there very rarely will you see them use that and you need to understand the significance of this moment with Moses is so tied to the fact that this is also the reason they crucified Jesus this is the reason now it wasn't because he was a nice guy and he healed people, and I mean, that was that he was causing trouble. Agreed, but the reason the real reason that they laid a guilty verdict on Jesus was because of those four letters, was because of the name I am. Here's what it says in Mark this is after Jesus has been arrested, falsely accused. The high priest stood up before the others and said, Jesus. Asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus was silent made no reply, and the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Question is, are you the one we're waiting for, the Messiah? And Jesus' response isn't that I am the Messiah. Jesus' response is, I am. Jesus invokes the name of God personally and says that you will see the Son of Man seated in the high place of power at God's right hand coming through the clouds of heaven coming on the clouds of heaven and the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said why do we even need any other witnesses right why do we even need any other witnesses keep going you've all heard this blasphemy what is your verdict guilty and they all said he deserves to die why Because Jesus did what he shouldn't have done. What no one was allowed to do. It doesn't matter that he was a rabbi. Jesus invoked the name. Given to Moses. Given to God's people. And such a difference in terms of why Jesus changed the rules. Why why everything changed because of Jesus. On this side of the cross and, and because of the gospel message, like, like we don't have to be scared or afraid of the name of Jesus we're actually told and we're told to call upon the name of Jesus we are told to proclaim the name of Jesus we are told that if we ask anything in Jesus name the power of God is behind it so we don't have the same fear of that name that that was given to Moses in this moment we don't have Fear, or, or you know, which I don't even know if that was meant in terms of the case with Moses to cause that kind of fear as much as it was the way they took it from the, from the third uh, uh, commandment on. Like, 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 this is the name of God. This was Jesus saying, "I am who I am. That's who I am, and I am here, and I am, I see it, and I hear it, and I'm aware, and I'm active, and I'm moving." even when you don't understand, even when there's no reason for you to understand it. I am. And so this is where I wanted to kind of land today because we're we're gonna continue on this, by the way. Moses isn't done, by the way. Moses isn't done. Moses continues to make excuses. Well, I don't done talk good, no God. You know, like he gives all sorts of excuses as to why he's still not gonna be the guy which God just continues to answer and continues to answer. And we're going to kind of truck on with the story next week in terms of how God used Moses. But I'm telling you, I just wanted to get you here today that that when we believe this, that God is in every circumstance. He hears, He sees, He's there. We don't have to get stuck in this, why me? We, We don't have to get stuck there. Why? Because we've been given I Am. We've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given salvation through his name this is what causes us to move in faith this is what causes us to live in faith and move forward I'm not saying that you won't ask that question as an instinct I'm not saying that why me won't come up in your mind because it is a human natural thing to just look for reason to look for an explanation to satisfy us but as quickly as you can in your faith, in your journey, you can get to a point that, you know what, I I might instinctively ask why me, but I'm going to move forward because I am. Because I am is here. Because I am will deliver. Because I am is present. And even when I can't see what he's doing, even when I don't understand how he's working, I can move forward in faith. The phrase that we use um, when we are teaching this with church planters because we we walk through kind of old testament scripture and new testament scripture and sort of like the heart and the dna of the church And, and and we talk about a healthy church having this this mindset that his glory is greater than my story that his glory is greater than my story. And, it, and, and we like it because it kind of rhymes, but it's the similar feeling that, that every time I have that instinct to go, why me? What's going on? Woe is me. Like, like to understand the fact that his glory is always going to be greater than my story. And I may not understand what he's doing. I may not understand what his glory is, is, is at work and actively doing, but I know that it's greater than my story. And a why me you know, question, looking for reason, has everything to do with my story. I can put a spin on it, a Christian spin on it, and make it all about God, but it really is still all about me when I ask why me. But His glory is greater than our story, we have to learn to move in faith. And so I love this, I'm gonna end with this today. Uh, I love this passage from, the, from Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is giving the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, this is who the, the, the book of Hebrews is for. He's helping them understand, connecting the dots between Moses and Christ and, and all these things. And he goes on to give them examples of faith, how people move forward in faith because of I am, because of Jesus. And he goes all the way back to Moses and Moses' parents. He says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was also by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? He chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And then it goes on to say, as we're going to continue next week, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who's invisible. That phrase, he kept his eyes on the one who's visible," is just a way of saying, look, Moses kept his eyes. Moses wasn't stuck looking for reason and explanation. He kept moving forward in faith because he kept his eyes fixed on I am. But even though it wasn't obvious, he wasn't absent. Even though it wasn't, you know, the reason, their explanation that would satisfy him, the true thing that satisfied him was that God was present, that I am was there, that I am was going to be with them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the way Um, we can learn, even from these very, very old stories of your people, it's just so interesting, God, to see that things really haven't changed that much. We're all still very much the same. And God, that natural instinct to sort of look for reason and look for explanation that would satisfy us has always been there. And honestly, God, it's, it's what's gotten us and your people into a lot of trouble, oftentimes. Lead us, led us astray. And yet, from this example of Moses, as we're going to look through the next few weeks, God, you gave us everything we need to move forward in faith. May we start here, God. May we start building on our understanding. not to, Not to look at this life as a life of wandering and wondering, but, God, that we can move forward in faith with you because I am. Because you are I am. That's ultimately all we need. We thank you for this, Jesus. Amen.